Welcome to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Get ready for powerful and practical insight on how to let the supernatural power of God loose in your life. Join your host and anointed guests for a crash course of equipping to release God's mighty authority, healing, prophecy, leadership, spiritual warfare, and evangelism. And now, your host, international speaker, author, revivalist, and prophetic voice, Pastor Ren Shuffman. Welcome to the DNA of a Dangerous Church. I'm your host, Pastor Ren Shuffman. I'm the senior pastor at Freedom Fellowship, and this is my podcast you're listening to on Charisma Podcast Network and everywhere podcasts are. I'm so excited today to have my good friend on here, Ryan Johnson. Ryan Johnson, how are you doing today, sir? I'm very well. Thanks for having me on, Ren. I appreciate it very much. Absolutely. You're a powerful man of God. You're hilarious. You got it all. You know, I tell people all the time that you don't have to give up personality for power and you represent that so well. I noticed you didn't throw handsome in there. Is there something we need to discuss? I mean, (laughs) all right, guys, we're going to have to start the podcast over again. This is the DNA of a dangerous church. And I have my gorgeously handsome, powerful friend on here today. All right. So for the people that don't know who Ryan Johnson is, give them your backstory. Tell them a little bit about your ministry. I grew up, was born and raised in Northeast Alabama, but I've lived in Virginia, North Carolina, different parts parts of Alabama, Florida, and currently reside in Eastern Tennessee in the Great Smoky Mountains. I've been serving the Lord now for 24 years this November. I've been a senior pastor, associate pastor, students pastor, and I travel full-time as an itinerant minister. I teach at the Summit School of Ministry at Summit Church here in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. November, be married 25 years, father of four, author of three books, host of the Blacksmith Chronicles podcast. I've done a little of this, a little of that, and I'm still going because I don't feel like I've accomplished much. You sound exactly like me. The the, the things, we, we just don't know how to say no to adding another thing to our plate, but somehow God makes it all work, doesn't he? <laughs> That's right. If you watch my uh, live broadcast where we pray and prophesy over people, the power hour of prayer, then you are familiar with Ryan Johnson. I've had him on before a couple of times. Powerful uh, man of God. Uh, we're like brothers. We finish each other. We're like twins, kind of. We finish each other's sentences, prophetic words. We've had several times where you were on and we both just just kind of tag team prophesy over people. So I know you walk in a heavy anointing um, and I know you've written one of the books that you've written is uh, how to contend with your miracle where you talk about walking in healing and walking in the, the power of God, but in a different respect, right? Because most of us are talking about uh, if someone doesn't get healed the first time we pray, what do we need to do different? We're talking about that idea of instant healing, but you kind of have a different revelation about what healing looks like over the full spectrum. Would that be right? Yeah, we have to understand that healing can be a process of time, unfortunately, not to our time, our standard. Uh, You know, the simplest way we can think of that, if I break a bone, uh, I can put a cast on my wrist where I broke a bone. And on the outside, it doesn't look like anything's happening. But internally, there's a healing that is going on. It takes time. And unfortunately for us, because we are in fleshly bodies, that can happen on multiple levels. And let's face it, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. 
And so there's sickness that comes to our bodies. There's physical ailment, ailments that comes to our bodies. There's things that come that are not from the Lord. It comes from the enemy in order to cut us off. And part of that revelation came a few months prior to my own mother being diagnosed with breast cancer. And I had this revelation about contending for your miracle, understanding how faith and trust go hand in hand with prophetic words. We have prophetic words over our lives, but a lot of times when we don't see that thing come to fruition in the amount of time that we believe it to come to fruition, we stop contending. We say, well, it's just not meant for me to be healed, not meant for me to be delivered. There is no miracle. There's no sign, no wonders, no nothing. But we have to learn how to contend. We have to war over the prophetic words of our lives. And when I'm saying prophetic words, I'm not talking sim simply about a man or a woman coming by and releasing a prophetic word. Now, there is that as well. But I'm talking about dreams, visions, prophetic things that you know God has spoken to you over you personally, over your family, over a spouse, whatever the case may be. And we have to learn how to take those and contend because those are the promises of God and he is not a liar. So how do we war for those? If we're contending for a miracle, I, someone asked me this on Sunday. They came up and said, I felt like the Lord said this to me. And they said, uh, the Lord wants us to wait on him. He keeps saying, wait on me. And so I said, okay, uh, your homework for the week is this. What does that mean? What does that look like? Are you just sitting around watching TV till the Lord shows up? Like what, what is waiting mean? What are you doing in the waiting? So what, what does that contending mean? What does that mean contending? What are we doing in that process in between? Like, like, um, Abraham waiting on his promise to come, right? Uh, Moses in the desert and Joshua waiting to go into the promised land. What does it look like to wait on that prophetic promise? I genuinely believe without activation, there is no manifestation. And what I mean by that is a lot of times, like that terminology, wait, we have the tendency just to sit and we're just kind of waiting. We're waiting for the passing time. Okay, Lord, you said this. Now I'm just waiting. But if we go back and look at that, those that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength in, uh, like the wings of eagles. That word wait right there actually has a meaning of expectation, preparing with expectation. And so let me think, let me say it this way. I invite someone to my house. Ren, I invite you to come to my house. Well, there's some things, even though I'm waiting for you to come to my house for a meal, to fellowship, to have dinner, there are things that are having to take place to prepare for your arrival. I may be cleaning the house. Me and my wife may be preparing meals. We may be setting things up, making sure that the restrooms are, are clean, that there's stuff where it needs to be, make sure lights are working, this and that. We're preparing, we're activating. So in contending, we have to do the same thing. You have to take out those prophetic promises. You have to pray over them. You have to decree them daily. You have to get them in your heart. You pray, you worship, you warfare. You find scripture that lines up with those prophetic promises, whether they're dreams, visions, or words, you go to the scripture and you see the examples where God, I say it this way, God confirms or he affirms what he has already done in this passage of scripture, therefore knowing he'll do it again. For what the Lord is going to do in the future, look to the past. And we see that. But in the contending side of it, a lot of times 
we get so hung up on just the moment of we heard this, we fail to con- to fight for the fulfillment of it. Let me say it this way. Elijah heard the sound of an abundance of rain. We get that, right? What did he do? Did he go looking for the rain? No. He went up to the top of Mount Carmel and he prayed. He travailed. He sent his servant to go look for the manifestation of the thing in which he heard. And the servant comes back and says, I see nothing. Elijah prays more. He's praying. He's warring. He is fighting for the thing in which he heard. Remember, he heard the sound of an abundance of rain. Eventually, seven trips, the servant comes back and he says, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. See, that was the manifestation of the thing in which he heard. He warred after the manifestation. When the rain came, that was the revelation. We forfeit or we abort prophetic revelations because we're not warring over their manifestation. We get so excited about what we heard, and then we sit back and wait on the Lord to do it for us. So there is no contending for that. The contending is what you and I are willing to do. We want to go look for the manifestation while God is wanting us to give birth to the manifestation. And out of the manifestation, there comes revelation. So we have to proclaim, profess, and pray into the promise. Absolutely. I had to put it in my senior pastor, you know, everything had to rhyme voice, <laughs> but, but that's good. I mean, we're, we're having to step into that. We're having to contend that idea of contending. What you said was uh, what triggered me there was travailing that contending or praying or just proclaiming or decreeing all of those things are great, but, th- but that word really contend and travail really paints a, a, a picture that this is not just sitting around and saying it out loud, that this is actually something you're fighting for in the supernatural many times, right? It has to become, and, and, and I, I know we use this word a lot, and, and obviously this is the name of your podcast, but it really has to become part of your DNA. It may not look like on the outside I'm walking in the revelation of what God prophesied over me, but I am claiming it as my inheritance. I'm claiming it as my heritage. It's one of those things when we think back, you know, when Jacob wrestles with God, God re-identifies him as Israel. But when we read the scripture for a little bit, a few chapters there, Jacob kept identifying himself as Jacob. He couldn't click that he had been re-identified as Israel. Now, before Jacob dies, he understands who he is as Israel. For a lot of us, the problem is we know or we think we know what God has said about us. But until we confess it to where it becomes about who we are, we don't really learn how to walk that thing out because we, a lot of times we're confessing with speculation. Well, I know that I'm a Christian and I know that means I have authority, but do I really have authority? We have to look at this from even a natural side. If I give an FBI member, if I give him a badge, the authority, I give him the jacket, I give him everything he's been through, him or her, and they know that they're the FBI. They don't walk around wondering whether or not they have the authority as a member of the FBI. They know that they put in the time. They know that they went through the training. They know they went through the process, and they know who they are as an FBI agent. The problem for a lot of quote-unquote Christians is they know more who they are denominationally than they do in the sons and daughters 
daughters of the kingdom. If you knew who you were as sons and daughters of the kingdom, the questioning is on the back burner because the identity becomes a part of who you are out of the confession of your mouth. We're often uh, secondary believers of what we've been told, not what we know. In other words, what we hear from the pulpits is what we kind of gravitate to. But when you don't know exactly what the word of God actually says about yourself, you become more by what the structure is saying that you are rather than what the kingdom has already defined you to be. We have to understand that we were defined before we were ever in our mother's womb. God knew us from that moment that we were conceived and we he understands that we have that purpose. We have that destiny. It is us catching up to that. But if I and I'm not knocking, please understand my heart when I'm not I'm not knocking denominations because many of them have done a great job for the kingdom. But a lot of them, unfortunately, it becomes more about being that individual than it is the son or the daughter in the kingdom of God. It's being about that denomination. And the issue at hand, again, it's in. And I say this in the definition of the word. It is ignorance. It is a lack of knowledge. Now we see that manifested on a different level with social media. We have people that can quote more memes than they can actual scripture. We have more people who can share things that sound good, but not are not necessarily from God because what sounds good, feels good, must be God in our terminology. But the reality is the ignorance of God's word has positioned us to receive things that feel good, look good, appears to be good, but we don't know whether or not they're holy because we're not willing to truly dive into the word of God. It's why when you prophesy and you contend and you know that you know that you know, we think back to Jehoshaphat. When Jehoshaphat's arm Armies, the armies were gathered against Jehoshaphat and they were about to be killed. Jehoshaphat comes back to God and he says, God, you said, you said that this would happen and this would happen and this would happen. Now here we are and we're about to die. Where are you at? Now the question has to, we have to ask ourselves is, how did Jehoshaphat know what God said? That had to be within him. Today in our culture, because we know more denominationally and we know more social media wise, we don't know how to quote back what God has said because we haven't got what God has said in us to begin with. We've got what our favorite preacher has said. We got what our favorite worship team has said. We got what our favorite denomination said. But what does the word of God actually say? And again, We have to remember when we're contending for prophetic promises, does it line up with the word of God? And that's really important, too, because many times in our stream, uh, ones that flow in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, a lot of times uh, we can go to the other side of that where we're just taking whatever words come in without testing those words. And I think there's like a middle ground there where many people don't realize that uh, you have one side of the church maybe that completely, because they don't understand it, they're afraid of it. They have denied the power within. They have a form of godliness, but they've denied the power within. And then you have the other side where everything is permissible and everything's acceptable and there is no judgment of the word. There is a big difference, you know, church, hear me here. There's a big difference, I think, between being judgmental and judging, okay? And those are two different things. Weighing those things, testing is different than passing condemnation. A judge sentences you to jail 
uh, our testing does not produce anybody being grounded for getting it wrong. And so we need to weigh everything that comes in. And I think as a church, there's that middle ground, which is why I'm a big fan of unifying. I, you know, I'm not against any denomination. I always say I love every denomination and I hate them all, you know, I, I because there are so many things that divide us and I like to unify. That being said, I'm not building bridges to dark places. So I'm not interested in building bridges that are going to steal from me the fullness of who Christ is. And I'm not really interested in people that want to worship a dead book. The book that I read is alive. A lot of people, they, they come into this realm that we're in where, where we're walking in healing and prophecy. And they're looking for that quick fix, right? So maybe they're going to the latest conference or maybe they're running uh, to my church or your church or, and saying, please pray for me, please pray for me. Not, uh, you know, not that I'm criticizing that or anything. If, if I was in a desperate situation where I've been praying for healing and it has not manifested, I'm probably going to make a road trip to everybody I know that walks in it with, that, with no shame. Hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm going to get every prayer I possibly can. I'm not going to chase that down, but I am going to run after God's presence and whoever's carrying it. And so I'm not against that, but we've, we've come to this place where, where maybe when we don't see the manifestation of our miracle, we start to, to fall apart in our faith. We have people that literally will fall apart in their faith. And, and you as somebody who walks in healing, who's seen people get healed, has had these seasons in your life where you've had to contend for your miracle. You didn't just write a book about it. You've literally had to walk these things out in your own life just even recently, right? Yeah. First of all, I started out my walk with Christ in uh, November 30th, 1997. In January of 98, I was miraculously healed of a major heart issue. I was facing open heart surgery and um, did not have to have that open heart surgery because I was healed. So that's how my life as a son of God gets launched into uh, serving the Lord. So over the years, we've seen a lot of things. And even with my mother's case, we did see her healed of cancer and she is still alive and with us. She sings on her worship team at her church. But just recently in January of this year, uh, I ministered on January, on Sunday, January the uh, 17th. I wasn't even supposed to minister. I was supposed to be uh, on a plane on January the 16th, flying to Missouri. And we had a family member to pass away on my wife's side. And I had to go out of state and perform the funeral. So that put me back home in Tennessee on the night of the 16th. And I was not originally supposed to preach on Sunday the 17th. But because of some other things, I ended up ministering. Well, I mean, it was a good Sunday. Everything was fine. I went home, had some company over our house. We spent a lot of hours with them. But by that night at two o'clock in the morning, I'm in the ER in some of the worst pain that I could possibly imagine being in. And I mean, I was just in excruciating pain. And on Monday, they come in and they say, uh, Mr. Johnson, do you realize that you have several blood clots in the bottom of both of your lungs? And I just kind of sat there and was like, Wait, what? And they start explaining about these blood clots. Now, for anybody who goes COVID crazy, I've never had COVID, never tested positive for COVID, never had any symptoms of anything that could ever be related to COVID. And I made sure that the hospital, the doctors all agreed that this was not COVID related. So it became a process of figuring out what is going on with these blood clots. So they, they put me on blood thinners and all this stuff and everything. And so I go home Monday uh, night, I wake up Tuesday and I'm just sore uh, right across my sternum. 
And and I just feel like I've been in a fight and I'm not winning, you know, but I'm just sore. And by three o'clock, I'm back in the ER, but I'm in worse pain than you could possibly imagine. And it's one of those things where like, what in the world's going on? Well, they're running all these tests across the board. I am what appears to be 100 percent healthy other than the blood clots. Uh, my blood pressure is good. My oxygen is good. Everything, every test I am passing with flying colors. And so they admit me because they cannot figure out what's going on, but they can tell I'm in extreme pain. So Wednesday comes around, they do a HIDA scan report and they can't find my gallbladder. I'd had no gallstones. I had no complications to a bad gallbladder or anything. And they just said, look, since we can't find your gallbladder, it tells us your gallbladder is not working. You can live without it. We're going to remove it. I said, okay, whatever. I just need this pain out. Get it out. You know, I'm Tuesday night in the ER. I'm crying. I am praying to God, help me from all this pain. It is, it is painful. And so they said, we're going to do the surgery on Thursday and uh, we're going to do more tests to make sure that we know that we know. And I was like, that's fine, whatever. One hour later, they come in and said, we have to prep you for surgery now. Something happened. I said, what happened? They said, all of a sudden, your white blood cells shot up. So I'm being prepared for surgery. And there comes this one moment where it is a revelatory moment. And the doctor goes, we're glad that we found out about your blood clots before surgery. And I said, what do you mean? They said, if we'd got in there and done this, you would have had a high risk of dying because gallbladder surgery nicks the vessels, the blood vessels, because there's a lot of blood vessels in gallbladder and you would have died on the operating table, but we're prepared because your blood clots. And it's like, whoa, well, if you think back, I was supposed to be on a plane on, on, the 16th, that Saturday. And the doctors had already told me if I had gotten on that plane, I'd have had a high possibility of dying because the blood clots being there, no one knowing about them, they would have shot up my lungs and went straight to my heart. So I had two wow. cases right there where I could have easily stepped into eternity. So I get out of surgery and they come in and they just have this look on their face, the doctors do, and they rattle off some kind of something. And they say less than 1% of the world's population ever have this, ever have what? And the doctor says, your gallbladder was swollen. It was very large. Every blood vessel was dead and it was gangrene and it had swollen so large it had disconnected itself from the liver and started seeping poison into your body. And had we not caught it, you would have went into septic shock and died. And I'm just kind of sitting here going, wait a minute, what? So here, here's the crazy thing about it. I existed no, or, or, or I demonstrated no signs of sickness. I was not sick in my body, had not been sick in my body at all, completely healthy, good blood pressure, good cholesterol, good numbers on everything was good across the board. And all of a sudden, I have a gangrene gallbladder that's seeping poison in my body, and I have these blood clots at the bottom of my lungs. And we have no explanation for any of this whatsoever. So the pain seceded because obviously it was my gallbladder. But for the next three months, it was what's going on with these gallbladder? I mean, these uh, blood vessels. What's, why do I have the blood clots in the bottom of my lungs? So it's test after test and, and everything that is going on. You know, what is happening in this? The doctors could not figure out what it was. And I finally tell the doctor, I'm like, look, this is a spiritual attack. 
if you can't find and you can't point to anything, and he was a believer. My doctor was a believer. My blood doc specialist was a believer. I said, if you can't point to what caused the blood clots to begin with, this is a spiritual attack. I was never sick. I never ran a temperature. I never had any kind of illness of any kind, never had COVID, never done anything. And all of a sudden, there's this attack on my body. And there could have been three times that I left this earth and went into the glory land, but God supernaturally intervened. This is this is going to be his story, not my defining moment. And so this was the thing that I realized, and we prayed, and to this day, I'm still here. Not only that, I don't take any medicine for blood clots. I'm completely, I have no blood clots in my body. I'm healthy across the board. My blood pressure is perfect. I don't take anything, but I take vitamins every morning. But we had to pray. We had to war. We had to do some things out of this. But this was a spiritual attack because believe it or not, it's not that I'm special or more special than anyone else. It's just a reality that enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Christ came that we might have life and have it more abundantly. And this is one of those things that we have to remember. And, and I'm believing this, Rand, you know this. I'm believing this for my son, too. Uh, my 15-year-old son went through a medical um, traumatizing thing. He was diagnosed as a type 1 diabetic back in September. It came out of nowhere. I'm not diabetic. My wife's not diabetic. Neither of our parents diabetic. Our grandparents weren't diabetic. So it was like, what is going on in this process? And so I asked the doctor. I said, what is the chances of him being reversed from type one diabetic? And she looked at me and she said, oh, it's irreversible. I looked at her and said, challenge accepted. And she kind of looked Come at on. me and she said, she said, what do you mean by that? And I said, ma'am, I really want to thank you for everything that you've done for my son and how you've helped him in this time of need, because we did not know he went into deco uh, a DKA. Uh, ketosis and it was a bad situation. It was a life-threatening situation that we did not know. And I thank the doctors for everything that they did. But I looked at the doctor and I said, I, as his father, I give you permission to help my son, but I do not give you the authority to define the rest of his life. And she kind of looked at me and she was like, okay. And so she walked out of the room. I looked at my son and I said, son, I'm your father. First and foremost, I'm a son of God. And as your father, I am telling you, this is not the allotment of your life. You will be healed and you will not be a type one diabetic all of your life. You're not going to take the shots for the rest of your life. You will be healed. Now, everybody since then is, you know, they're always like, well, you know, you got to do this and you got to do that. I'm telling you. And Ren, you can on this podcast and you and I have talked about this before. It is happening. My son will be healed. So you're contending for that miracle. You're stepping in, even though you haven't seen the instantaneous miracle on that. And I think so many of you need to hear this, especially those that watch my broadcast or have been a part of that. You've seen night after night. People get healed, you know, a dozen people a night getting healed and set free instantaneously. That's happened. But what happens when that doesn't happen instantaneously? What does that look like for you to walk that out? And, and let me just say, you know, I pray over people at my church all the time and we see instant healing and we see miraculous things happen. And then there's one over there that doesn't. Now, I can tell you for a fact that 
you know, I prayed over some people and for dozens of times and they were healed one time and not another. Uh, we have a gentleman in my church. I prayed over his back. He had to take injections in his back to stop the pain in the nerves. Mm. He was in a place where he didn't really believe in a lot of the supernatural. I prayed over his back and that's been two years. He's never needed another injection. He's never had another day of pain in that back like that ever again. On the same token, he had a hernia uh, up in the top of his sternum. We prayed for him over and over for weeks. He had scheduled a surgery and I told him this. I said, look, here's what we're going to do. You're going to come up every opportunity you have for prayer. If anybody wants to pray for you, you get prayed for. You let everyone at the altar pray for you every week, every time. And when it comes the date for that surgery, if you need the surgery, get the surgery. I said, deal. He said, deal. I can do that. And he was faithful to that. He came up and let him pray for him every single time. And the date of the surgery, he got the surgery. We saw one time where he was miraculously healed. So we know it's not his faith issue. He knows God can heal him. He's seen it happen. No longer needs procedure. This one, he needs a procedure. And, and I think it pulls on our faith when we see things like that. And it challenges our belief system and our faith to go, well, well God, you heal me this time, but why, why not this time? And, and I've had people have asked me that question many times. And my answer is usually the same. It's above my pray grade. Yeah. It's above my pray grade. I don't know why one this time and one not in that time and that way, but I, I do know that it shouldn't rock our faith. It shouldn't shift our faith. So what's that process of faith look like for you as you're going through those with people? It, because I get asked that a lot too. Well, yeah. I prayed and this this didn't happen and so on and so forth. And I have a similar answer. I just simply say, I don't know. I don't, I don't have an explanation for it. I, I can exemplify what the scripture tells us to do. And this is the thing. We pray, we prophesy, we decree, we make war with uh, the enemy. You know, whose report are you going to believe? These are these sayings that we do. And, 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 it's, and it is challenging at times. It's stressful at times. My father is a disabled veteran. He served um, in the United States Air Force. He has a lot of health issues. And many years ago, a woman came up to him and said, well, if you had complete faith, you would be made whole and you would be healed. And he said, what? She said, you have a lack of faith and that's why you're not completely healed. My dad, without hesitation, looked right at her and said, how do you know I'm not walking in my healing? And she kind of looked confused and perplexed and said, what do you mean? He said, well, at the time, he said, I was supposed to be dead 25 years ago. I'm still here. So obviously I'm walking in healing because I've outlived the time that I was supposed to live. And it's something that has stuck with me a lot of times, because I believe one of the problems that we get into when it comes to healing, signs, wonders, miracles, is we put our stamp of approval on it. We define what it should look like, how it should come in its form, and how it should function, and that's where we get into trouble. Because when we're talking about, not, I'm not talking about a miracle, which is instantaneously. I'm talking about a healing. It may occur in a way that we never saw coming. It may manifest over whatever period of time. And it may be quick. It may be short. It may be simple. It may be long. But you can't ever take a step back and go, well, I don't think that God is not working on my behalf. The moment that we start to redefine how God works, we remove the ability for God to work because what we're actually doing is defining who God is based on our revelation of what we can understand rather than getting the understanding of who he is through his revelation. And that's where we get caught up. 
because of those moments, God works in ways that we're not always going to understand. We're not going to have that defining moment, but the revelation of who he is, is the beauty of taking a step back and going, okay, this was God. This was not man. This was God. I think back at the moment of Gideon. Gideon has a pretty decent sized army going against the Midianites. And God says, you have too many men and you have too many men because if you go to battle in this way, you will think that you did it your own way. Now that's a blow because he tells Gideon, I'm about to decrease you so that you don't get the credit. Now, we have to look at that in so many ways because, and I'm not saying this, please, everyone hear me clearly. I'm not saying that God causes sickness and brings sickness on you in order to teach you a lesson. That's not what I'm implying at all because I don't believe genuinely, scripturally, you can back that up. What I do believe is how God manifests that revelation of healing will come in a way that we're not always going to agree with. In that moment, Gideon has those thousands of soldiers, and he's down to 300. That's what I'm going to win against, 145,000 soldiers? 145,000 to my 300 men? But God worked in a way that Gideon never would have said, or you and I would have never said that. And that's where we have to remember. It's not arrogance. It is me being confident. Do I see the manifestation of my son's healing? Not completely, but I do see it. That his numbers have tremendously went down from where they were at. It surprised the doctor so much that my 15-year-old son, when the numbers went down as much as they went down, the doctor said, wow, that's a big jump. My 15-year-old son looked at the doctor and said, I'm not going to be a type one diabetic all my life. Come on. My 15 year old son is not, I'm just not carrying the word over his life. He is carrying the word over his life. And that's the defining moment for us all. Come on. That is such an inspirational story right there. I believe that your son is going to walk in the fullness of that healing. I release it over his pancreas right now in the mighty name of Jesus. I speak life where the enemy has planted seeds of death into him in the mighty name of Jesus. I want to see that to come to fruition. I have a heart to see that restored. And, and what, a, what a word that we have that you know you are walking in faith and you are walking in 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 belief not just you but your son is even though it wasn't an instant manifestation of healing and that's so powerful and that's what so many people on here need most people don't know that I'm legally 30% disabled according to the government I have a 30% disability I tore two discs in my neck many years ago and those don't heal according to the doctors they never heal you have to have surgery they wanted to put dead man's bones in my neck and fuse it together in my 20s, uh, which was going to cause a rippling effect for the rest of my life where I couldn't move my neck and it would topple the mm. rest of my uh, joints. And I said, no, that's all right. I'll come back to you in a year from now and I'll be healed. Um, and I told a uh, neurologist that, of course, you know, he didn't like that answer. And a year later, he wouldn't take my appointment. I don't know why, but. 
It wasn't instantaneously. There was never a moment where the pain was there and the pain was gone. You know, there is a difference between a miraculous healing and walking out of healing and receiving a healing over a period of time. And God does those both ways. And I love what you said about Gideon. God's saying to Gideon, your army's too big. You need to decrease it. And I think about the way in which when I stand in front of someone to pray for them for healing, that many times the Lord will stop me and correct me if I'm not walking in love. If I'm looking at my gift or looking at my power when I'm praying over someone, ooh, they're going to get it. I got the juice. You know, here it comes. And nothing happens when I pray for them. They don't get any healing. They don't feel the presence of God. Nothing is happening. And I have to stop and say, oh, Lord, let me decrease that you might increase. I'm looking at me instead of looking at them and seeing the person I'm in front of and seeing the love of God for them and seeing the way you see them. I'm not letting you speak through them. I was looking at my own giftings and power and I have to decrease myself, decrease what I think I carry, that I can win this, that I can bring the healing, that I'm the one that releases that. And remember who is the one that releases it? Who's the one that wins the battle? And when I put that perspective right, I see God show up in miraculous ways. Whereas the first prayer, you know, they think that I'm just praying again for them. They don't realize that I had to get my heart right for a second because I got lost in the moment and got, you know, got all full of my own hype for half a second. And I'm always coming back to that center where I'm decreased because it's him that brings the victory. There's no way Gideon can win that kind of fight with 300, if not for the Lord. And God is not really interested in us taking the credit, is he? No, and and I'll tell you this, Rand, it makes me automatically think of John the Baptist. You know, John the Baptist was preaching repentance up to the time that Jesus appears. And next time we read about John the Baptist, he's preaching, um, you know, oh, wretched sinner to the king inside of his palace. And he ends up locked up, about to be headed. And all of a sudden he carries or he asked his disciples to go back to Jesus and question whether or not he really was the Messiah. Now, John the Baptist, when he was preaching repentance, understood that was the Lamb of God that came towards him and got the revelation. Heard the Father say, this is my son, whom I will please. But the moment that John the Baptist no longer was doing what he was called and positioned to do, he found himself functioning out of the purpose of what he was supposed to do. And he was still preaching to a level but he wasn't doing what he was supposed to do. And it caused the, the fear to enter in him and go, well, what, you know, maybe this is what, is this really the Christ or not? Or is this really the Messiah? A lot of times we find ourselves like John the Baptist. As long as we're functioning how we're functioning, we're willing to decrease so that he increases. But the moment that we step out of the lane of what we're supposed to be and do, we find ourselves questioning whether or not this is really real. Amen. That's such a good word. Guys, we're listening to Ryan Johnson. He's a powerful man of God. And I'm telling you, he walks in authority, uh, you know, to come from his background of being a moonshiner in Alabama. Oh, I'm sorry. You were <laughs> I'm just the accent sometimes throws me off. Um, <laughs> I'm truly Southern, man. Truly well, when you southern. lay hands, people get drunk in the spirit. It's kind of the same thing. If you if you think about it, it's kind of yeah. holy, it's holy like is that what it is? Holy, li <laughs> holy lightning. <laughs> Come on. Living the supernatural life is a fun thing. It's a powerful thing. And, you know, I mean, uh, contending is not fun. I am I wrong? Like contending is not, you got to find joy in the Lord somewhere. Cause contending is not fun. Have you ever just been like, man, I'm just so happy. Lord, you know what? I want to punch some of them in the face when they say things like this, that, you know, you read in the scriptures, I think it's in James where he says, um, uh, count it sheer joy brothers and sisters, when you face various trials and tribulations. 
Count it sheer joy, right? You ever meet someone and you're like, man, I'm going through a trial. I'm contending for my miracle. I'm travailing. And they're like, oh man, brother, I'm just so happy for you. I mean, think about all the patience you're going to get. Think about the character building. I'm so excited for you. <laughs> yeah, that's why I say I'm going to throat punch a demon. The problem is the demon happens to be in a person. Uh, so that's <laughs> that's the issue. And listen, this, this is the thing. Number one, I say life's too short not to laugh at the expense of others. So find someone to laugh at. And if you can't, look in the mirror. That, that's how I laugh every day. I just look in the mirror and I find somebody to laugh at. But there are the challenges, you know, the first time that I got on a plane after I went through my own health issues, a genuine spirit of fear came on me and I'm sitting in the plane seat. And all of a sudden I start to have these emotions and this, you know, this, this fear get over me that I'm going to die because when the plane goes up, the pressure is going to kill me because, you know, the blood clots are in my lungs and, and I had to get a hold of myself and I had to renounce the spirit of fear. I had to rebuke the thing that which was after me and remind the enemy that I have a purpose and my assignment is not over yet. And that's one of those things um, that we all have to be. It, and it is difficult. You know, it, it counted all joy. It, it, it is challenging. I'm, I'm not saying it's not, but laughter is a medicine. So we do need to learn how to laugh every once in a while. We do need to help ourselves. We need and contending is a struggle, but it's always worth it. Listen, Paul, our day and time, one of the hardships that we have when people go through difficult things, we sit back and go, oh, what did they do wrong? Did they sin? I bet they committed some sin because all those bad things wouldn't be happening. Well, Paul today would have been the biggest sinner of them all in the eyes of the church because that brother had a lot of bad things going on in his life. Prison, shipwreck, beating, stonings. I mean, you name it. Snakes coming out and biting him. Uh, I mean, the reality is Jesus said, and we all want blessings. We all want to be blessed. Everybody want to be blessed. Amen. I want to be blessed. I'm going to do what it be. Blessed are those who are persecuted for my name's sake. Ain't nobody, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants nope. to hear that right now. Nobody wants to sign up for that blessing. We okay. want the blessing where we do nothing, be nothing, and get something. But the reality is the blessings of the Lord come to those who are actively demonstrating the kingdom. Amen. That's so good. And I know that you are actively demonstrating the kingdom. You're the author of three books. Tell them about the, the names of your books and where they can find them real quick. Really quickly, the first book ever written is Illegitimacy, The Battle Over Your Identity. It'll go well with your book, sir. Uh, just yes. the Breaking the Bastard Spirit. It, it'll go really, really well. How to Contend for Your Miracle. Uh, that's the book that we've kind of talked about on that. And I have a mini book out on racism, the church and the nation that I wrote with John Bill, Chaz and Strickland, and Waylon Henderson that came from one of our podcasts going live. All those books can be found on Amazon or my website. And we will put the link to those in the description of this podcast and live. Uh, there are people watching live. If you love the podcast and want to watch live, follow our Facebook page to be alerted when we are recording this live so you can. So I'd like you, before you take off, uh, to pray over the people that are watching live and the podcast listeners and, and just release something that you carry. It's important that we come on here. We have real, raw, and vulnerable conversations that equip and train the church. But at the same time, we want to release 
release an impartation. And you guys that are listening by recording, there is still power in this impartation over you. So I want you to receive it even though you're not on it live. And you guys on here live, get ready to get rocked. Father, I just thank you right now, first and foremost, with who you are. You are holy. You are mighty. You are worthy. You are El Shaddai. You are Yahweh. You are I am. Everything that we could hope for, everything that we could desire to have, you have for those whom love you. You have because you created us with purpose, with the assignment to glorify your kingdom. So Lord, we honor you this day and every day going forward for the things in which we do, we do to glorify your name. Now, Father, I speak to every individual who have ears that are willing to receive. I speak to them, Lord, what your word says over them. Number one, they are worthy. They are not worthless. They are worthy. As sons and daughters of God, they are worthy of the assignment of their life. Number two, Lord, they are inheritance. They have the system of the kingdom of heaven already within them. They're heirs. As sons and daughters of God, they're heirs with you. They're joint heirs. They're co-heirs. Everything that heaven has, they have. And Father, I remind those individuals as well that they truly are ambassadors, that they go forth, they decree, they declare, they prophesy. No matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, we stand on the word of God. We release the word of God. We advance the kingdom for your glory. We are fishers of men. We are demonstrators of who you are and your love, your grace, your mercy. Everything that we do, we do it for you. So Father, right now, those that are listening, I ask you, Holy Spirit, to impart in them right now the fullness of who they are as sons and daughters of God. And as they cultivate the word of God in them, they cultivate the harvest that is around them, that they will not leave the ground uncultivated, but they will plow forward and headstrong that they too may be able to show and demonstrate the fullness of the kingdom. I decree it and declare it now in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Wow. What a powerful prayer. So I hope you guys, if you have a testimony after he prayed, make sure to message us and let us know that. Ryan, you also got a conference that's coming up here pretty soon. What does that look like? Absolutely. June the 6th through the 8th, that summit church. We're having prophetic cultivation. This is our annual RJM conference. We have Ben and Jody Hughes, the Australians from the Pineapple Revival some years ago. We have uh, Anthony Medina out of Texas coming, Chasden Strickland out of Jacksonville, Florida coming. And also we have the great Miss Patricia King out of Arizona as well. Patricia King Ministries. Uh, we're having morning and night services, but we also on Monday, we have a Q&A luncheon with all the speakers as well. The entire conference is free except for that luncheon. There is a fee to help cover the cost of the food, but nevertheless, you can register for that event. Find Prophetic Cultivation at our website, which is ryanjohnson.us ryanjohnson.us go visit that guys and we're so thankful for this conversation we had stick around for just a second as we have a few minutes with the live but thank you for being here 
Thank you for listening to DNA of a Dangerous Church. Be sure to subscribe to the show on CharismaPodcastNetwork.com or iTunes, Spotify, Google, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. Follow Pastor Ren Shuffman on social media and join our mailing list for exclusive bonus training content at www.ffc.church/dangerous. slash